verses 19 through 26. So grab a Bible. If you need a Bible, we have some in the back we could pass out. If anybody wants to use a bridge Bible to slip up your hand, we would love to hand one out to you. Um, This is part four of Radical Living. We've got a few down here. Yeah, there you go. Some down here, guys. We lost our people to hand out Bibles. So we got some on this side, too, when you get a chance. Thank you, Cameron. Several years ago, author Philip Yancey wrote an article in Christianity Today about the danger of unforgiveness and the power of anger. Yancey tells about a friend of his who was going through some tough times in his marriage. His friend's name was George. One night, George had reached a boiling point with his anger and exploded at his wife, and he pounded the table, and he stomped the floor, and he said, I hate you. And he says, I won't take it anymore. I've had enough. I won't go on. I won't let this happen. No, no, no. Several months later, George woke up in the middle of the night and he heard some strange noises coming from the room of his two-year-old son. He got up, walked down the hallway, stood at the door and listened in to what was going on in his son's room. There he heard his two-year-old son's voice repeating word for word the argument that he had had with his wife. I hate you. I won't take it anymore. I won't go on. No, no, no. And George realized that he had passed on his pain and his anger to his son, the sin of the father being passed to the next generation. Our words are very powerful. We need to think before we speak sometimes. The Apostle Paul instructs us in James 1, 19 through 27, that the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Let's look at verses 19 through 20 at first. Um, The problem of anger, you can follow along on the outline that's in your program if you like to take notes, and you'll remember a whole lot more if you do take notes. First of all, my anger obstructs my ability to to be spiritually receptive. My anger obstructs my ability to be spiritually receptive. And we see this in James chapter 1, verse 19. And James begins, my dear brothers, and he's talking to Christians. He's talking to those who are believers in Jesus, those who are born again. He's talking to the church. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. First, he says, be quick to listen, because God gave you two ears, and only one mouth. And we should be quick to listen, slow to respond, careful to think 
about what we might say, to be quick to listen, to be a thoughtful listener, to be a focused listener. And then he says, be slow to speak. Be slow and careful in your response, especially when you are feeling angry. Don't blow up. Don't explode. Don't vent. Don't go off on someone. Don't go off on a tirade. Uh, Be slow to speak. Writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 29, verse 20, Do you see a man who speaks in haste, speaks too quickly? There is more hope for a fool. The book of Proverbs is about wisdom. Wisdom is the art of skillful living. Wisdom is often compared to foolishness. A man who speaks, a person who speaks too quickly, the writer of Proverbs says, is foolish. Thirdly, in verse 19, James says, be slow to become angry. Um... Being angry is not always wrong. James says, be slow to become angry. Uh, God has anger. God has designed us to have the emotion of anger and to experience life with anger. But James says, be slow about your anger. Keep thinking. Weigh your response. Think before you speak. When I am becoming angry, am I wanting to hurt someone? Am I wanting to take revenge against somebody? Am I trying to retaliate? Anger is usually about justice. And things that make us angry are things that we think are unfair. Most often, those things are about us. Sometimes we have anger when other people are treated unjustly. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, the Apostle Paul says, In your anger do not sin. So he just assumes you can be angry without sinning. It's quite possible. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. One of the things he's instructing us there is to deal with our anger. Anger is pretty normal. It's a pretty normal way that we respond to life on how we feel sometimes, but we need to deal with it. We need to process it. And that means uh, if I'm angry at somebody, I need to talk it through with them. You know, it's okay for me to say I'm feeling angry right now, and I can even talk about while I'm feeling angry right now. And that can help me process. But if I explode and say, Sue, you make me angry. Um, Sue isn't making me angry, by the way. That's my choice to be angry. But I can process. I can seek to resolve relational conflict. And the Bible says to do it before the day ends. Because uh, there's all kinds of studies about anger and what it does to our bodies. You know, like ulcers, anger turned inward leads to depression. And um, one of the biggest causes of anger is our own personal failure. We get mad at ourselves. And we don't think we have to do anything about it. And we need to deal with our own anger at ourselves because we're not perfect 
You know, I'm so mad that I did that, that I didn't do this. I'm so, I shouldn't have done that. And we don't, we don't forgive ourselves sometimes. And um, we keep it inward. Which can make for an explosive person. Be slow to become angry. And then uh, do not give the devil a foothold. This is really important. This is misunderstood sometimes. Anger opens the door for the enemy, the devil, Satan, demons, his, the angels of darkness to work in our lives. Because we, we just kind of open up. We, we're no longer uh, spiritually protected. And uh, the enemy can work and, and can plan ideas and uh, can take up uh, territory and in influence in our lives. So our anger needs to be dealt with. Uh, obviously, if our anger is hurting others, that's a whole other issue. I need to deal with that. I need to apologize. I need to ask for forgiveness um, if my anger is hurting other people. And oftentimes, I'm the last person to know that I'm angry. Um, I remember uh, when our kids were at home, they could tell when I was angry. Dad, you're angry. I'm not angry. Who said I was angry? Or Sue would say, Jerry, you're getting a little uptight there. I'm not uptight. What are you talking about? You know, sometimes we're the last people to know that we are angry. Verse 20, this is powerful. My anger does not bring about the righteous life God desires. My anger does not bring about the righteous life. Look at verse 20. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. The anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Being angry at others or yourself impedes the work of God in your life. Your anger does not promote healing for yourself or for your relationships. Angry people pass their anger on to their families. And one of the things that's important about anger is if in your family is your kids, if you're, if you're a parent, your kids need to know how to process anger in a healthy way. That they are angry is just plain normal. It's like you get angry. It always worries me when I, in premarital counseling when I ask a couple uh, um, about how do their parents hand, handle anger and our, or our conflict. Well, our parents never argued. And I want to say, baloney. They didn't argue in front of you. And yes, there are certain things that are not appropriate to talk about in front of your kids. But they need to know that you can handle conflict and that you can handle anger. And if you offend somebody with your anger, that you're willing to say, I'm sorry. And your kids need to hear you say, I'm sorry for blowing up. It's one of the most important things that they'll learn in their home. Um, The anger of man does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Uh, Romans 12, verse 17 just reminds us, do not repay anyone evil for evil, because that's what we do when we get angry. We want to get back. We want to power up. We want to win the argument. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do right what is in the eyes of everybody. Uh, Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. When I am wronged, I sometimes feel like I should get back. I want to prove my point, to prove that you are wrong and I am right so that I win. And uh, the Apostle Paul says 
It's not about winning here. It's not about taking revenge. It's not about getting back. And when I am wronged, when, when um, somebody really sins against me, um, I don't have to justify anything. God is the God of justice, and it's up to him to take care of judgment. He handles the wrath part. He has a righteous anger that's going to take care of these things. Now, if somebody's in an unsafe situation, I'm not saying you need to you need to do something, you need to act, you need to get you need to be safe, you need to get away, you need you need protection, uh, you need to seek law enforcement. I'm not saying not to do that. I'm just saying when I just when I'm just personally offended because you said something that makes me mad, or you've some way sinned against me. There's a whole lot about the Bible that says God's going to handle this. I don't have to win here. Uh, Romans 12, uh, 21, do not uh, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We like the part about not being overcome by evil, but we don't like the part about overcome evil with good. That we're somehow supposed to do something good in return for something when somebody has treated us poorly. Um, Okay, question. I knew you were going to ask this. What about righteous anger? You were all ready to ask that, weren't you? I could see it on your face. What about righteous anger? God has righteous anger. You can have righteous anger. It is possible that righteous anger could become a passion to correct an injustice. This is important. It's possible that righteous anger could become a passion to correct injustice like Uh, Being concerned about the rights of an unborn child, like being concerned about the needs of the poor and the disenfranchised, like helping those enslaved to addictions, like serving the needs of battered women. You could be angry at that sin and you could use it, a passion to turn in and serve and be a part of the solution. Righteous anger comes from God and is directed by God. This is this is where we break down sometimes. Responses of righteous anger are led by the Holy Spirit. Righteous anger would only function according to God's word. And as soon as we get off the path, we're heading into our own personal anger, and it's no longer righteous anger. Righteous anger would never violate Scripture. Um, Sometimes uh, something may start with a righteous anger because we are angry at some sin and it's truly a righteous anger and we don't process it well and it switches to a human anger that can lead to sin and retribution or revenge. It's when we get off, off the course, off the track. In the Old Testament, we see righteous anger revealed many times through the prophets If you study the prophets in the Old Testament, they don't have righteous anger when they are offended personally. Their righteous anger is about some injustice of people, other people, like the poor. Okay? It's not about... Jeremiah was offended many times. And he didn't have... His righteous... He didn't respond in righteous anger to his own personal offenses. 
Okay? In other words, you offend me, I'm going to be righteously angered back. That's not the case of the Old Testament prophets. Um, the Apostle Paul says these words in Galatians 5.16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Living by, in the power of the Holy Spirit, walking in the power of Christ day after day is the best way to deal with anger. It's not to say that you won't experience anger. If you're, no, if you're a human, you're going to experience anger. It's a God-given emotion. It's how you process it. And if I'm walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden I become angry because I can become angry, if I'm starting to step out of the bounds, the Holy Spirit's going to, hey, wake up here, pay attention here. And the Holy Spirit's going to, hey, that's, that's sin. You're, you know, stop here. Uh, apologize. Ask for forgiveness when I, if I say things that are hurtful. The Holy Spirit's going to keep me accountable right on the spot if I'm walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. So live by the Spirit is one of the best ways to cope with anger issues. So anger short circuits our spiritual receptivity. Um, angry people don't like to pray. Angry people don't like to say they're sorry. Anger, angry people don't like to read the Bible. Angry people don't like to ask for forgiveness. Angry people don't like to admit that they're wrong. And um, it impedes our spiritual life. It certainly can. Okay, that's verses 19 and 20. Now verses 21 through 25, the problem of deceiving ourselves. The problem of deceiving ourselves. And uh, in verse 21, my lifestyle choices obstruct my ability to be spiritually receptive. My lifestyle choices can obstruct my um, ability to be spiritually receptive. And James writes in verse 21, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. He says, get rid of moral filth. He's saying, get rid of it. It's just like taking off dirty clothes. That's the word that's used here, putting on and putting off. It's like getting rid of dirty clothes. I have about three, three pairs of workout clothes that I use to work out. And my practice, whether you like this or not, is I wear them two or three times before I throw them in the laundry. And, uh, you know, wear them, hang them up, wear them again, hang them up so they dry, wear them. Now, when Sue walks by, I don't even notice the aroma. But if Sue catches me, and she'll just grab the clothes, and they go right in the laundry. You know, she doesn't like that. Uh, it's like taking off the dirty clothes, put off, uh, get rid of. There are some things that are moral filth. That's what the word that James used. There are some things in our lives that cause an aroma to go before God that he doesn't appreciate. Things like pornography affect us and our spiritual lives and um, our whole ability to communicate with God and to be spiritually receptive. Put off moral filth. 
Things like lying, things like stealing, things like gossip, things like premarital sex, things like drunkenness. These things short-circuit our spiritual lives, our spiritual growth, our ability to receive spiritual things, our ability to receive truth, our ability to receive the Word of God. James says, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Um, The writer of Hebrews catches this idea in um, Hebrews 5, verses 11, 13, because there are things that we do Choices that we make that make us spiritually dull, okay? Writer of Hebrews here is just happens to be uh, talking about Melchizedek in Romans in Hebrews chapter 5, and we won't even take the time to talk about Melchizedek, but here's what he says. We have so much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. Now, here I like the New American Standard Version, and it says, you are dull of hearing. You are spiritually dull. You hear the words, it's not getting through. There are choices you've made in your life, and you just can't receive truth. In fact, though, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You should be far enough long in your spiritual walk that you have enough knowledge that you could be teaching other people you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of god's word all over again you need milk not solid food and his his point is you know there are some choices that we make in our in our lives as followers of christ that keep us on square one we're just baby christians over and over and over and over again we don't grow it's because of the choices that we're making. We're not able to receive spiritual truth. And we keep going over the basics, and we just get into a rut. Uh, next slide. Anyone who lives on milk, and here he's talking, milk, he's talking about the milk of the word. He's talking about simple truth, things that you feed a baby Christian. Baby, this is good for baby Christians. This is not good for somebody who's been a Christian a long time. You need more than baby food, okay? Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food, T-bone steak, and the like, is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves. Constant use of the Word of God, training themselves. In other words, I've got to have some kind of plan to have the intake of God's Word on a regular basis, and I'm training myself. I'm not just being spoon-fed on Sunday morning, but I'm in a training program for myself, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good and evil. As you train yourself in God's Word, you grow in your ability to distinguish good and evil. Some people don't do a very good job with distinguishing good and evil. They just enjoy life. And so God's word can train us to discern, to be spiritually discern good and evil. So my lifestyle choices can obstruct my ability to be spiritually receptive. On the other hand, uh, next in verse 21, my humility provides good soil for God's word to grow. 
my humility. This is what James tells us, verse 21, the second part, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Humbly accept the word of God that's already been planted in you. Here he's talking about the word already planted is, uh, in, is the gospel that Christ died for our sins. He's talking to save people. He's talking to believing people. He's not... Um, the word that's already planted, uh, which can save you, has already begun to bear fruit. It can change you. It can transform your life. And humbly accept God's word continually. Um, and he gives, uh, well, let me just refer to uh, Jesus' teaching on the parable of the sower and the parable of the sower. My point here is my humility provides good soil for God's word to grow, to accept the word planted in you. Luke chapter 8, verse 8, Jesus taught this, the parable of the soil. Still other seed fell on good soil, representing the heart of a person. This is a good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than when was sown. And when he said this, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Did you get that? Because some things are spiritually discerned. And he's, he's telling a story, and, he's, and it's uh, a concrete everyday story with an abstract truth. And then he interprets it in verse 15 to our advantage, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a good crop. And he said already up to a hundredfold that God's word comes into their life and then grows and manifests itself in a fruitful living, abundant living, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, um, the ability to communicate the gospel so that other people hear it and understand and can be saved, the ability to produce spiritual fruit. And it comes from my humility that provides good soil for God's word to grow. Next, in verse 22, my self-centeredness lulls me into inaction and, and lack of follow-through. My self-centeredness lulls me into inaction and a lack of follow-through. Sometimes my lifestyle choices, my anger, my desire to be self-protective uh, makes me dull. Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves because it's possible to deceive yourself that everything's okay because I went to church today. Everything is okay because I was in small group. Everything is okay because I read the Bible today. Those are good things. Those are good places to be. But don't merely listen to the word because there's a possibility you can deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Just do it. Big breakdown here in Christianity. Having right doctrine and poor action. Knowing the right things, not living them out. Living them out is what the Bible describes as living by faith. Doing what God says taking God uh, at his words. And, you know, I, you know, personally, I just don't want to stand up here and say, well, I'm, I've got it all together. I know what it's like.
to, to, to read the Bible and just sort of wait for God to move me. And he's already said it, do it. And sometimes God just wants me to do what he says and not wait for some kind of feeling that it's going to feel better later. Um, sometimes we ignore God's word. Sometimes we live as if God's word doesn't really apply to me right now. And James says, just do it. In verses 23 and 24, the self-centered, lazy Christian dishonors Jesus. The self-centered, lazy Christian dishonors Jesus. Look at verse uh, 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. If you could have seen me at 5 a.m. this morning, it may be hard to believe that I look worse than I do right now. What if we saw you at 5 a.m. this morning? What have you done since 5 a.m. before you got here today? What kind of, you looked in the mirror and then what did you do? Showers are a good thing. Sometimes we need to shave. Sometimes we need to put on clean clothes. We make changes. We make adjustments. We don't stay where we are. We don't stay how we start. And that's his point here. Um, He's talking about looking into God's word because God's word is like a mirror. When we look into the word, when we're exposed to the word of God, it shows us for what what we really are, who we really are, what we are like. It shows our shortcomings. And God gives us the opportunity to do something about those shortcomings. God's never expected us to be perfect. He's just wanting us to grow like we want our children to grow up and mature. He's not looking for perfection. He's very patient with us. He wants us to respond. Um, Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our, of our heart. God's word is like a mirror. It shows who we are. It discerns uh, our thoughts and our motives. Yeah, John 14.15 Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. This is what Jesus has told us to do right here in this book. And he says, if you love me, just do it. Verse 25, the devoted follower of Christ will be blessed for obedience. Look at verse 25. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law, it's like looking at the mirror. This perfect law that gives freedom. Jesus says, if you continue in my word then you are my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom that jesus talked about and continues to do this and continues to do this and continues to do this not forgetting what he has heard but doing it he will be blessed in what he does that is a good place to be when you have the favor of god on your side when you're walking into blessing Day after day after day. Now, blessing includes things like being content. It doesn't include like 
that you have perfect circumstances every day. It means I can be content. It means I can trust God to answer my prayer. It means I can continue to learn from God's word, be in a place of blessing. I can count on God providing what I need. It's not about giving me everything I want. It's about being in the place of God's favor on your life. And it's about continuing to be and do the word, to be in the word and to do the word of God. And so when I look into the word and God wants me to make changes, it's about doing what he says. The man or the woman will be blessed. Verses 26 and 27, our our last section, the problem of worthless Christianity. And uh, James just goes back. He's going to pick up this theme theme again later in the book, chapter 3. But right now, my everyday speech can make my everyday Christianity worthless. I can say I'm a Christian. I can tell people I'm a Christian. But my speech can make it all worthless, empty. Verse 26, if anyone considers himself religious, another way for us to talk about this idea of being religious, consider it being a devoted follower of Christ. Anyone here considers themselves a devoted follower of Christ, yet does not keep a rein on his tongue. He deceives himself, and his devotion to Christ is worthless. It's about reigning our speech, having controlling our speech, about he, uh, thinking before we respond, before we blow off and vent our anger. It's more than just that. It's our speech, whether it relates to gossip. What are we saying about other people when they're not present? It's about lying. It's about being deceptive and telling half-truths. It's about hurtful sarcasm. Um, it includes explosive ang- anger. And uh, James would say, this person is deceived. Their portrayal of Christianity is worthless. So, you know, how do you talk about your employer when your employer is not present? How do you talk about your supervisor? How do you talk about your teacher when your teacher is not present? Um, how do you talk about your friends when they're not present? And James would say, you know what? Our speech can make our own Christianity worthless to those around. Ephesians 4.29 through 31, the Apostle Paul says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up, according to the needs that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, because sometimes our speech brings grief to God. The Holy Spirit is sometimes grieved by our words. We cause emotional pain to God by the way we speak sometimes, by the way we speak about other people. Verse uh, 31, get rid of all bitterness. It's like taking off the dirty clothes. Uh, Rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. That malice intention to hurt other people with our words in this case and in this application. Verse 27, my lack of involvement in helping the under-resourced poor, widows and orphans, makes my Christianity worthless. My lack of involvement in helping the under-resourced poor, widows, orphans, makes my Christianity worthless. Verse 27, religion or devotion to Christ 
that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this to look after orphans and widows in their distress. This is the kind of Christianity that God the Father accepts as pure and faultless. It's the real deal to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Um, I have to say, as I look back through the years, this is an area that I've been growing in personally. When I came to faith in Christ, the church was in a kind of a, every. Uh, let me go back and say, throughout history, there are times the church has done really well. The Church of Christ, those who claim to be followers of Christ, have done really well at expressing God's love to people who are under-resourced and have significant needs. And there are times the church has just sort of glazed over. When I came to faith in Christ, the church was partially glazed over. How's that? That's what I'm trying to say. And so this has been a learning process for me. We live in a day when the communication and information... um, uh, it's so easy to know what's going on in the world today. It's so easy to know the needs. And I'm excited that a lot of the younger generation who are followers of Christ are waking up to this. And they're ahead of some of the people that are older than them, the generation ahead of them. But this is important as a follower of Christ. Um, Through the years, um, we've supported ministries like Kids Alive and we recently started supporting World Vision. And after I came back from a conference um, Friday night, I want to support Compassion International. Um, and the last point I want to make is my sloppy spiritual life polluted by the world makes my Christianity worthless. My sloppy spiritual, is your spiritual life sloppy right now? Because the, the Christianity, the, the lifestyle that you're living is not having much of an impact on people around you. Um, we often have a way of sort of looking good to other people. But God uses the real deal. Verse 27, he says, and to keep oneself polluted by the world. The one who keeps himself or herself from being polluted by the world. Living in a world, it's about living in the world but not being of the world. So when people watch my life, will they see Jesus Christ working in me? Um, Will they see that I'm a committed follower of Christ by the way that I live? Will they see what Christianity really is all about. Um, I'm just going to use uh, one verse here, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, the second part, and then verse 8. And the Apostle Paul says, train yourself to be godly. This, this is the theme we picked up in Hebrews chapter 5. Train yourself to be godly. Training is a discipline. Athletes train. They repeat things over and over again to become stronger and more fit. You are a spiritual athlete whether you like athletics or not. And you are to train. There are things that we do that make us more spiritually fit. And sometimes it's repeating the same things over and over again. Reading God's Word is a discipline. The more you read, the better you are trained, the more fit. Prayer is a discipline. Yes, we are commanded to do it. The more we pray, uh, the more fit we become, the more we grow, 
the more God answers prayer. There are other disciplines uh, like practicing solitude, like making sure we have time to hear God so that we, we say, I don't want all this noise in my life. I need to slow down. Uh, silence. Sometimes fasting is a, is a discipline um, for the spiritual life. Uh, serving can be a discipline. And here's what Paul says. Train yourself. There are things that you must do. It's called self-leadership. Choices that you make about your own life. He says, for physical training is of some value. Some of you like to train, and you enjoy the benefits of that. It's hard work, but there are, good, there are benefits. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life now and also the life to come.